Hey, this is Brian with Mid-City Vineyard Church. Mid-City Vineyard's located in the heart of New Orleans, Louisiana. Right now we worship on Saturday nights at 6 o'clock on Canal Street. Uh, we'd love to have you anytime that you are uh, looking for a place to worship with some other folks. If you want to learn a little bit more about us, check us out online, midcityvineyard.org, Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard, and on Instagram, at Mid-City Vineyard. We've been uh, in a series for the last couple of weeks entitled 40 Days, and we've been looking at the, uh, some of the events that took place between the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday and when Jesus, 40 days later, ascended into heaven. And this past week, we were actually looking at the ascension, some of the ramifications and uh, kind of what it, what it means that Jesus ascended into heaven and is now uh, seated in that heavenly dimension so we'll be checking that out this weekend hope you enjoy the poid poid podcast much peace to you catch you soon and we've been in this series called 40 days for the last 40 days and the idea here which i just i loved this series but the idea was let's look at some of the things that take place in the gospels from the resurrection, which was April 1st, when Jesus comes out of the grave, to ascension, which is 40 days later, which actually this past Thursday was Ascension Day. Because I have found, you know, as I was reading the scriptures, there's, there's, we, I've never spent much time looking at the things that took place in those 40 days. Like there's weird stuff that takes place. So for instance, last week what we were looking at is the fact that Jesus' best friends, best friends through his whole life, when he appears to them after the resurrection, they didn't recognize him. He'd only been gone for three days. And these guys didn't recognize him. That's weird. And so we were kind of looking into, well, what, what's going on there? Why didn't they recognize him? Well, we looked into the fact that the very first preachers of the gospel in the gospels are all women. And how it's funny, to me at least, that in the church today, a lot of the church has this real issue, not this church, but a lot of the church has this real issue with women and their place of leadership and their place of, can they be pastors and can they preach the gospel? When I look in the gospels and I think, and I honestly think that's what the gospel writers are doing, is they're like, hey, check this out. Jesus is so amazing and the kingdom of God is so incredible that Jesus and the kingdom are flipping everything upside down. So though society says that women belong here, look at what Jesus is doing. He's, he's saying, no, 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 saying, you know, every, everybody gets to play. Everybody's in this, in this place. And it's like, these were the first preachers of the good news. We looked at what new creation looks like in Jesus. And, and then tonight, I want to look at the actual... Uh, ascension, this this idea, this 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 thing where Jesus in the Gospels it says that Jesus ascended into heaven. What does that mean? Uh, does it mean anything? Does it mean anything for us? What what were the disciples thinking? And so, in the book of Luke, chapter twenty four, this is how the passage goes. It says uh, in Luke twenty four fifty, says that when uh, when Jesus had led the disciples out to the vicinity of Bethany. He lifted his hands and he blessed them. 
Uh, the blessing seems to be back in Matthew. Luke doesn't record it, but but Jesus seems to say that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, and I give it to you now. And go, I want you to go in the na- in my name and preach the good news and tell people about me and 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 let them know about this life, this kingdom, this upside down kingdom where where everything is being made new. It says that so here it says that Jesus was blessing them, and while Jesus was blessing them. He left them and was taken up into heaven. And then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. It's a little bit weird. I, I, you know, I, and, and who knows? I mean, really, who knows what this was like? Did, I mean, was it a beam me up, Scotty kind of thing? Like, did Jesus literally like, move upwards, skyward? I don't know. Uh, personally, I don't think so. Um, and I'll explain why in a minute. Uh, one thing I know is, is that these gospel writers, they were just so, so smart, uh, and they were so poetic, and they were so artistic. You know, there is this story about um, that uh, Julius Caesar, or Caesar Augustus, uh, Caesar Augustus, who was Caesar at the time when his father had passed away, Caesar Augustus declared that his own father who was the previous Caesar, was a god. And so Caesar Augustus himself was then thus known as a son of God. And there were stories uh, in, in, Roman, uh, in Roman history about, about the gods who would ascend upwards and, and towards the heavenly realms. And so I think a lot of what Luke's doing here is, is explaining like, who this Jesus really is. It's interesting because Jesus here, remember, we talked last week, and if you weren't here, uh, go back maybe and listen to the podcast because we talked about Jesus' resurrection body. But what happens here is that Jesus is there one second, and then he's not there the next second. And so we say, well, what's going on? If you look over in John chapter 20, and you might jot that down if you want to go back and look at this later, but here's here's another indicator of what might be going on. John chapter 20, verse 19 says that on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were hanging out together, they were in a room and the doors were locked because they were scared of the Jewish leaders. And then all of a sudden, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So, what? That's that's just weird. Why did they tell us that the doors were locked? They told us that the doors were locked because John wants to express to us that somehow this Jesus guy got through the locked doors without knocking or without a key, but just all of a sudden, now you see me, now you don't, or now you don't, and now you do, kind of a thing. So what's going on here? I don't really completely know, but I can tell you what I think, and I can tell you what most uh, biblical scholars and theologians uh, believe this particular day and age. If you go back to thinking last week, Jesus, when he comes back from the dead, he has what we know as his resurrection body. A resurrection body is a physical body. Jesus, remember from last week, Jesus is the prototype. Jesus is the one that goes before us. And Jesus is the one who went to death, died, spirit, soul, whatever it is, was apart from the body. The body was laid in a tomb and the essence of Jesus went to preach the gospel to the dead, was hanging out with the, the divine father. Uh, whatever 
his essence was doing. And then on the third day was resurrected with a brand new body that was blood and flesh and bone. But this flesh and bone and blood body was different from his previous body. And the fact that it was no longer subject to decay, it was no longer subject to um, depression, it was no longer subject to, to achiness, hurt backs, any of that kind of stuff. Amen. Everybody said amen. That's good news. See, it's good news. But also this new resurrection body is not subject, is no longer subject to death. That's important. And what Jesus is showing us is, look, ultimately this body, there's going to be a, there's a death and this body will decay. And to be apart from the body is to be present with God. But when Jesus returns one day, there will actually be a physical resurrection. This is what Jews in the tradition of Judaism have always believed. And this is why Christians theologically, doctrinally, Traditionally, this is what Christians believe is that there will be a physical resurrection and the new resurrected body will be a body that is able to, to be houses for the divine as we are like little Christ, so to speak, ruling with God here on earth. So what happens in this new body? The new body apparently can do things that the old body simply can't. We believe that the kingdom of God is present already and not yet. And by that, what I mean is that the ways of God, the rule of God, it is available to us here and now in the present. We can experience forgiveness. We can experience mercy. We can experience grace. We can experience generosity. We can give forgiveness. We can give mercy. We can give grace. We can, we can experience all the things of God. That's why we pray. Your kingdom come here in mid-city as or in your will be done here in Mid-City, in this church, as it is in heaven. What is heaven? Heaven is the place where things are as God intends them to be. What is heaven? Heaven is the place, the space, the dimension, where things are as God intends them to be. Well, is heaven some far-off place that I'm trying to get to? I would suggest no. Well, is heaven some far-off reality that I need to die to, to totally experience? I would suggest no. I would suggest to you that heaven is right here. You just can't see it. I know it sounds a little weird. It sounds a little science fiction. I think that's where science fiction gets its stuff from. That's where all the good stories come from, is from reality in some way, shape, or form. I know that some of you have experienced this, but you have a loved one that passes away. I've heard the, I hear these stories all the time. You have a loved one that passes away, and then all of a sudden you're in a moment and you, you get a sense that they might, they might be closer than you think. I used to take that stuff and be like, no. And I, well, for various reasons, I, I believe completely differently today. I think that there's a part that's kind of like, yep, maybe so. Because there's this dimension, there's this dimension where we're, we're here and, and we're right here on earth. But you see, when God created everything, heaven and earth, heaven and earth in the, in, the, in the Old Testament scriptures, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is not God created some far off place 
where God would hang out and he would build a, a gold throne and sit with a big crown and a giant scepter. And then he built earth and it's for the little minuscule peon human beings. And, and they would hang out there. No, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, there was this all-encompassing space and place. Earth ultimately is the dwelling place that God was creating for God's self. And heaven overlaps. It's, it's like this all-in-one kind of, it's this dimensional thing. And there was this, I think that there was this slight separation when, when shalom was broken, when, the, when, when sin came, and when there was this disturbance of the peace and the wholeness. But Jesus clearly says, when you pray now, I want you to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done as it is in heaven, as here on earth, as it is in heaven. Like right now, I want you to experience it, and it's closer than you think. You can touch it. You can sense it. You can feel it. You can experience it. And what I think is happening, and this is what most scholars and theologians believe, I, what I think is happening in this, in this thing is that Jesus in his resurrection body, Jesus in that resurrection body, the boundaries of the dimensions have been destroyed and Jesus is able to ebb and flow between these dimensions, between these spaces and these places. Where in one moment Jesus is fully, completely present to the divine and to God in this heavenly dimension. And then in the next second walks right into this other dimension. That one day that veil, one day that membrane, so to speak, will be completely destroyed. New heavens and new earth when Jesus returns. And we'll all just ebb and flow and work and walk and talk and speak and live in this space and place where there is no thin veil. There is no membrane. But right now there still is. And so this is what I think is actually happening. I, don't, I do not think Jesus is a ghost who doesn't have a real physical body who makes himself walk through walls. I don't think he actually walked through a wall. I think he simply walked through a dimension or whatever. I know it sounds weird. Allow your imagination and allow that mystical side of the beauty of the Christian tradition to tap in because it's amazing. It's the thing that God is doing where he's saying, listen, the goal, this is where this is going, that there is, there's no... There's no separation between heaven and earth. Right now, heaven is the place where things are as God intends them to be. And I want earth to be that. That's why I tell you to pray the way I taught you to pray. But until then, pray that way. And just know that when Jesus returns, heaven and earth will once again be reunited as one whole, full reality. So, what happens in the ascension? Does he ascend up? Maybe he does. Or does he just kind of say, I bless you in the name of the Father, in the name of myself, and in the name of the Spirit. And then, like, guys, I'll see you in a little while, and just begins to walk and then walks right back in to that space and place. Have you ever wondered why all of the early disciples were so convinced that Jesus was going to return in their lifetime. I mean, if you read the writers of the New Testament, they all seem fairly convinced. They're like, these are the last days. These are the last days. These are the last days. Why? I have a feeling it's because in the book of John, Jesus appeared in the room and then he disappeared. And then a few days later, he appeared again. 
and then he disappeared. I have a feeling that this ascension was probably just another one of those things over that 40-day period where it's like, oh, he was in the middle of blessing us. And God, and then I bless you guys. I bless you guys. Go do this stuff. Go do this stuff. And then he goes. And they're like, okay, he's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. And then they started dying. And they were like, man, what the crap? Like, I thought he was coming back. When's he coming back? And so they all died. They all thought they lived in the last days. And then the early church fathers were convinced they lived in the last days. And then, you know, in the uh, 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 thousands, I guess that's what we call them, they thought they lived in the last days. And now here we are in 2018. And I hear people all the time, I'm firmly convinced that Jesus is coming back in my lifetime. Said no one ever, right? <laughs> Said everyone for the last 2018 years. That's cool. And maybe he is. And maybe he is. But until he does, what's happening? The ascension is amazingly beautiful. Because in the ascension, if you think about this, what Jesus does is he leaves this dimension, this space and this place. And he, he resides now in the heavenly realm, the place where things are are as God intends them to be. And he says to you, and he says to me, he says to Peter, he says to Mary, he says to all the disciples before, he says, now go and live it out. Live it out. Look for the life of heaven. Figure out what the life of heaven looks like. Be filled with the spirit. Be filled with my presence and figure it out. Live it out. Learn to forgive. Learn to bless. Learn to be generous. Learn to be grateful. Learn to be merciful. Learn to pray. Learn to connect with one another. Learn to be reconciled to each other. But don't just learn these things by pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. Know this, that while I reside in that heavenly place, I'm with you. And not only am I with you, but because I'm there, I'm able to send my spirit. Don't just go at this thing on your own, but look to me. Look for the Spirit to fill you, to bless you, to give you power to do these things. Learn how to love. And then do it. Because the only way people outside of these walls are going to know that I'm in charge, the only way the people outside these walls are going to know that my death and my resurrection actually mean anything is they're going to look to you and they're going to look at how you love each other. So stop squabbling. Stop running away from each other. Stop backing down. Stop getting your underwear all knotted up over arguments and figure out your stuff. Love each other like I love you. Break down the walls like all these squabbles between black and white, between Republican and Democrat, between old and young, between just... Cut it out, Jesus says. Cut it out. I did away with all that stuff. One humanity. Press into this. Well, it sounds glorious, but we know it's not easy. And that's why Jesus says, well, in this world, you will have trouble. But I've overcome the world. So get to figuring it out through the power of my spirit. The ascension means 
that Jesus is in charge. It doesn't mean that Jesus is controlling everything like we're a bunch of puppets on wires. That's not what that means, but it means that Jesus is in charge. It means that death and darkness, their days are numbered. And Jesus says, so quit cooperating with them. Quit cooperating with darkness. Quit cooperating with death. And get in on the business of life and light and love and mercy. Come follow me. I'm in charge. This is my world. And I'm coming back. I'm redeeming it. Do good work. Be good to each other. Learn to love. Follow me. The ascension has huge ramifications for us. It means that we have purpose. It means that God's not done. It means that Jesus is coming back. The disciples thought it was in their day. Everybody's thought it was in theirs. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but that doesn't really matter. It really does not matter. Because whether he comes back, and, and I hope this comes across as a much more or less terrifying, Jesus is coming back, look busy, kind of message. Like, that's not what we're saying at all. Like, it's more like, hey, Jesus is redeeming the world and has said, you get to be a part of it. Get in on that. So tonight, we're going to share communion together in our last act of worship together. We're going we're gonna to take the bread and we're going to break the bread. We're going to dip it into the juice. And, and here's the thing. Like I want us, this is, this is a place. Communion is a means of grace. It's a means of grace. Everything we've done tonight, I think, is a means of grace. And what I mean by that is it's a means by which we might experience the living God. So wherever you find yourself tonight, whatever you need from the divine tonight, may you find it here. In your sorrow, may you find the living God. In your physical pain, may you find the living God. In your emotional stress, may you find the living God. In your joy, may you find the living God tonight. Wherever you are, may you find the living God here at the table. And if you want to bring something and you want to add it to the table tonight, whether it's your sorrow, your discouragement, your joy, the place where you've experienced healing, whatever it is, bring it to our table. Write it on the table. Integrate it into the life of who we are as the people of God. A people who are broken. A people who walk with a limp people who need to experience God. So I invite you tonight.